Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for allowing us to have this day in your reality on your earth, in your Sabbath, in your house, in the midst of your people. But that, oh God, wasn't even enough because you are so loving and you have such a, an affection for us that you said even to have us in your house, in the midst of your people, on your earth, on your Sabbath day, was not satisfactory. And so you've decided to come and to make our humble bodies your home. We thank you for the indwelling of your spirit. Father God, as the elder said, we, we all have gone through a week. We've all been tried, and some of us have been broken. But Father God, I thank you for this time that you might restore us and that we might become bold in the faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you have had a week? Uh, they are weeks, and then they are weeks. What kind of, have you had a week, or have you had a week? Raise your hand if you've had a week. A week, huh? Hmm. Well, you know what? God has got a word for you today. Amen? God has got a word for you today. Our sermonic text is taken from Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Let me get a moment to get there with you. Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Let me get up, is it up? Okay. And you know what? Let me bring this down. And the word of the Lord says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. And all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither root nor branch. In other words, burnt to a crisp and beyond. But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise. With healing in his wings, you shall go out and grow fat like stall calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet, burnt to a crisp. On that day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of Moses, my servant. There goes the law, even at the end of all things. Hmm. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb, for all Israel, with the statues and the judgments. Behold... I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Malachi had to minister in some rough times, Diane. Malachi was ministering. You know, it's rough and hard to do ministry when everything, Leoma, is just crazy. When strange things are happening, Malachi, a prophet in the days of Nehemiah, directs his message of judgment to a people plagued with corrupt preachers. 
plagued with corrupt politicians, plagued with wicked practices and a false sense of security in their privileged relationship with God. Sounds like, sounds like today. We've got preachers that don't know or preachers that don't know that they're preachers and really are striving to be politicians. We've got politicians that sit up there and think that they're preachers. It's a scary thing when a person running for the president of the United States says, you know, God called me to the pulpit, but he didn't go to the pulpit. But he's saying, but maybe now God is calling me to the big pulpit. I didn't know that the White House was the big pulpit. I'm talking about that other governor, you know, another Texas governor. Come on. Something about them governors from Texas, kind of scary. If God called you to the pulpit, go to the pulpit. If God called you to the political office, go to the political office. I'm just saying, mm, it's kind of weird talking about that false sense of security. Strange things when a nation shoots itself in a foot and goes from triple A to double A on purpose. Strange things. Strange things when politicians are more, when preachers aren't preaching, lift up the trumpet and loud let it ring. Jesus is coming again, but they're talking about we need to do this and this because the United States is God's kingdom. Talking about the founding fathers. Hmm? I don't need the founding father. I need the everlasting father. Strange things when churches are preaching more about prosperity and psychological feeling good about yourselves than lift up the trumpet and loud let it ring. thing. Malachi was called to minister in hard times. He was called to minister to a nation that had become so sinful that God's words to his people no longer had any real impact. All nature and the scriptures as well testify that God is a master workman. Everything he does is done well. Hmm? Just consider the unique individuality of each falling snowflake, a person's fingerprint or their iris or even their DNA. They all affirm the reality of God's amazing attention to detail, place, and purpose. It is an affront to this God when people say, you know what? I'm a man trapped in a woman's body. Because when a person says that, they're saying two things. Either they're saying that God made a mistake, and we know that God doesn't make mistakes, or worse yet, that God is cruel. Hmm? I'm not saying, I don't know how they got it twisted, but I know it's twisted. How do I know it's twisted? Because I'm an expert on twisted. I'm twisted. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. My brother and sister, if that is your struggle, I can't. And people, when they know that you're a Christian, they always try to get you to validate it. First of all, your problem isn't with me. It's with God. His word cuts against your sin like it cuts against my sin. If I could, I would be a collector of women, just being straight honest, in the flesh. Everybody's looking at me, tripping out. They're going, where's his wife at today? All have sin. And if you ain't honest with your sin, you're deceiving yourself. Everybody's got a little stink on them. Amen? Amen. But thank God we have a God who can deal with our stink and clean us up. It's the truth that will set you free. How can I justify your sin 
And I can't justify my sin. Sin is sin. God set the standard. He wrote the rules. I didn't write them. I don't know why people come when they know you're a Christian and coming. Well, what do you think? It ain't about what I think. It's what God says. Amen? He's going to deal with me like he's going to deal with you. That's who he is. He doesn't make mistakes. So knowing this, why then, why then did God call for Elijah and not Elisha? Why then did God say that Elijah must come and not Daniel? Why then did God say that Elijah must come, least he come and strike the earth with a curse, and not Moses, who was the greatest prophet in the Old Testament? Why Elijah and not somebody else? Because in our minds, it could have always been somebody else. But God does not make mistakes. We know that God could send Moses again if he chooses to do so, because Moses was present on the day when Christ met him and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. So it wasn't like God didn't have access to Moses. So again, why must Elijah come again? It's really simple. It's because God, like all masters in their crafts or field, always uses the right tool for the right job at the right time. That's why you got two bases sitting right there. Uh, why? Nobody asked the question because your bad bass player. Why are you playing this one and not that one? Or why are you playing that one and not this one? Nobody's going to ask you on the mail, why do you get up and get off the piano to go to the organ sometimes? Nobody's going to ask you, why are you doing your track and not your first part? He knows. And that's who you know. Because there's a certain guitar. There's a certain bass. There's a certain time for each thing preferred in its time and place. God is a master craftsman. I'm so glad that God doesn't show up to operate on me with a fly swatter when a scalpel is needed. Huh? I'm so glad that God doesn't come and, 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 and use a hammer on me when, when pliers are needed to fix something in me. You see, the work of reformation is a rough and tumble, get your hands and clothes dirty, bust your knuckles, in your face kind of ministry. It's, it's not that squeamish type of ministry that, that just likes to stay in the church. All ministries are good and great, but we're in the last days. We're in the keep it real age. Your kids know, will tell you and know more about sex and sexual things at 11 than you and I knew at 20. Times have changed. We can't dance around the edges and talk in glorious metaphors anymore because sin now is in your face. The songs have changed. When we were coming up, you didn't even know that certain songs was about an illicit affair. Me and Mrs. Jones, if you was really young, it'd go right over your head. Reasons by Earth, Wind, and Fire. You didn't know that was about a one-night stand, but now these kids listen to songs talking about girl on the kitchen table. I mean, I listen to some of these songs, and it's just like wild. It's not even the, the facade of romance is ripped away. It's like straight, boom, I want to hit it and quit it because that's who I am. So if we live in an in-your-face sinful kind of world, why are we still tipping around? There's some things we don't even address in church. Though it's sitting right up in the church.
Somebody better preach about the gorilla in the room. You see, the ministry for this last day and time is a different kind of ministry. It's a, it's a ministry in a time when it's not about black and white. Do you realize that there are those in the, the majority of the Christian world would rather have a form of godliness than godliness? We live in an age when people are worried about symbols more than people. They will get more passion and go out and pull more signatures to, to argue over, fight some atheist who wants to take a cross out of some place that nobody's, it's like crossing a graveyard. I mean, I'm not, I'm just, I don't have strong feelings about that either way. But what I'm saying is, look at the amount of energy that goes. The atheists are trying to take down a cross in a graveyard. And the Christians are fighting before the, before the cross stays in the graveyard. But then kids are being exploited. People are starving. People are caught up on drugs, and the Christians ain't doing anything. A form of righteousness instead of righteousness. It's a rough and tumble world. See, right now we are at war, and the stakes is winner take all. It's all or nothing, Diane. It's all or nothing, my brother. The reality of this war is that either God wins and righteousness takes the day or sin wins and everything fades to black. That is the reality of the war that we are in. The reality of this war is that it's war and not everybody that goes off to war is coming back home. Not everybody that's talking about heaven is going to heaven. Not everybody that's in this room this morning is going to be saved. Not everyone is going to get the seal of God in this room this morning. Not everyone that sang that song or prayed that prayer is going to make it through. That's the reality of this war. Let's look at 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verses 20 and 21. I want you to see this and understand this. This isn't play play. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. Is it up there? But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Paul's talking in the metaphor, but if you read it in the context, what he is saying is that you In this war, you decide. Like I'm deciding to use the mic. You decide. Are you going to make it home? You decide. Are you going to die on the battlefield? You decide. You decide. Let's look at Romans. Let's look at Romans chapter 9, verses 21 and 23. 
Hath not the potter, as God, have power over the clay? And of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and unto another dishonor? God has some of you hanging around, and you're deciding for yourselves that you want to be a vessel of dishonor. And at some point after God tarries long and hard with you, you'll do something so profound that the wrath of God will fall on you. And all the vessels of honor will look at you and learn, don't want to be like that, brother. Don't want to be like that, sister. Hmm? That's what happened to the brother that went and sold his house, sold his possessions, and then came and lied before Peter. And when he fell out dead for lying before the Holy Ghost, boom, and fell out in front of everybody, Oh, you can believe people in that church are going, don't want to be like that, brother. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to go on and be a vessel of honor. Hmm? Are you going to make it through the end of the war? An Elijah type of ministry is by nature intense and emotionally charged. This tremendous mental and emotional strain often produces, often causes those who participate in such a ministry to experience extreme bipolar spiritual mood swings. Hmm? I'm talking about those that have had a week. I'm trying to give some understanding to your life and your situation. Amen? You see, when you are doing ministry for the Lord, particularly Elijah type of ministry, and that's the ministry that's called for in these days. God says that before Malachi said that before the day of the Lord comes, Elijah must come. You want to wrap this thing up? Elijah's got to come. Huh? That's, I didn't say that. The Word said that. It says that before the day of the Lord, Elijah must come. I don't know about you, but I'm looking for Elijah because I'm tired of messing around with this situation. Huh? It, the, the highs of an Elijah ministry are great and wonderful. Think about it. Closing up the heavens. Outrunning the king's horses calling down fire from heaven, raising the dead and riding the whirlwind. Oh, man, who don't want that kind of ministry? That's power. Who doesn't want power? You want some power? Don't you know that the weak, the strong take from the weak? Huh? When you don't have any power, you're always going to be exploited. You don't have a say-so. You get the leftovers. But when you got power, you can do some things. Who does not want power? Do you want power this morning? Oh, oh, I don't see hands. I guess you, you like being weak. Come on. We all want power. Hmm? We all want power. Man, that, 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 that's awesome power. And it's all in a day's work when you got that Elijah kind of ministry, that, that kind of power on the good days. But when the low days come, and you need to understand the lows. Always will come the low days because it's a bipolar kind of ministry. The highs are high, but the lows leave you running on empty. Under a juniper tree, begging God to let you die. Hmm? That could be the kind of week that you had. Maybe you started out last week just stolen in the Lord, but you limped in here today. Hmm? Maybe sometimes you didn't even limp in here, but somebody had to pick you up and throw you in here. Hmm? But you know what? You're here now, and God's got a word for you. Hmm? 
The work of biblical reform is scripturally chronicled as a ministry of great boldness in the beginning, followed by despondency and despair. Elijah goes from the power of Mount Carmel to the self-pity of just wanting to die alone under some tree. Think about it. On his high moment, he was alone facing down about 800 false prophets. 800 now, man, you look like a bad brother. Stand up, brother, stand up. Oh, you got your son? Oh, that's all right. Just let, turn around. Let me see you. Handsome, strong brother in the Lord. Amen. 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 Stand up. You stand up. Another big, strong brother. Brother Pi, you stand up. Stand up. All these mighty men of God. Strong in the Lord. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Y'all some bad boys in Jesus. Amen. Amen. That's good. But if I told you 800 cats was out there looking for you, 800, man, you can maybe handle what? Three, four, five? I can help you with two. But what you going to do with the rest, I don't know. We would all be in some serious stuff, huh? We'd be, you know, we'd be trying not to act like we're scared, but we'd be like, okay, oh, man, Lord, Lord, what are we going to do, Jesus? <laughs> Prayers would be going up like you nobody's business. Sit down, sit down, sit down. So, you know, so he starts out in that kind of power. In that kind of power by himself. And then, to make matters worse, Elijah clowns him. Not only is he a prophet, but he's got a sense of humor. He's feeling this thing because it's an Elijah ministry. The highs are high. Where is your God? Maybe your God is taking a nap. Maybe your God has gone away. Oh, come on. And it's winner take all because you know what happened at the end. Whoever doesn't make the fire come down, whoever loses that battle of the God, those prophets off with their head. He's by himself. And he is just jokey joking. Hmm? Clowning him. Maybe your God is on a long walk. Where is your God? Huh? Oh, and them cats are dancing and cutting themselves and working themselves and doing their song and doing their chant. And Elijah is just smooth with it. That's the high. But when the lows came, after he had all those false prophets killed, one woman turned him out. She said, oh, you killed my prophets. Okay, I got something for you, Elijah. Oh, you may shake up my husband. You may have killed 800 of my prophets. But if I see you, because I'm cut from a different kind of cloth, I'm plugged into hell directly, huh? I got more heart than all of my prophets. If I see you, you're dead. Done. Mm. Yeah, and I know your God opens the heavens and he closes the heavens and makes fire come down. But I am so against your God that I'm foolish with it. Let me see you, Elijah. And something about that woman that was so devilish. And there was something about Elijah. He was so spent. He lost it got up and ran, ran so hard he outran his servant, ran so hard, ran for days, a couple of days before he even stopped, and then came to a spot and said, God, take my life. The bowl became broken. And isn't that the way we start out in our faith when we first come out of the waters? I'm going to walk for Jesus. I'm passionate for Jesus, bold for Christ. And now you won't serve in anything. 
one bad day you have, and you don't even want to come to church. You know how we do. I think I'm just going to stay home today. I don't feel like church. I didn't know church was a feel-like-it thing. I thought church was an essential thing. Jesus didn't say, I feel like the word of God. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. I didn't know it was a feel-your type of thing. But you know how we do it. The bowl is broken. Are you broken this morning? Hmm? Are you broken this morning? It should be noted that in every manifestation of an Elijah ministry, the dynamic of the bowl becoming broken has occurred and it will occur. Let me say that again. You know, when I was learning to ride a motorcycle and taking a safety course, they say there's only two types of motorcycle riders. Those that have gone down and those that will gone down. Will go down. And if you've ever ridden a motorcycle long enough, no matter how careful you are, you learn that that's true. If you have not gone down on a motorcycle, you will have to lay your bike down at some time. For me, it happened one morning going to work on the, eight, on the uh, 5 freeway. And I mean, I had to lay it down. And my whole life flashed in my front of my face. Guy cut out in front of me. I was splitting the lanes. Guy came out. Boom. And I said, oh, I'm going to die today. Jesus. And I swerved to hit the, to avoid the car. And, I, and then I thought about the car coming in the other lane. And I said, I'm going to get it. And if I don't go down, I'm going to get run over. And somehow I swerved. I rolled along the motorcycle. A guy on a Harley was behind me. I pulled it, pulled my bike to the side. Did not go down. Guy pulled up behind me on the, motor, on the, on the Harley. And he, he looked at me. He said, all I had was a little couple of scratches. And my leg was dinged up just a little bit. As a matter of fact, I got back on my bike and went to work. But the guy in the Harley said, man, I've seen guys that have did what you just did, and their leg gets ripped off. I pulled the guy's bumper off his car. Hmm? Those that have gone down and those that will go down. If you are in an Elijah ministry, there are those that have gone down, and there are those that will go down. If you have not gone down, stay in the ministry long enough, and I'm going to tell you, you will go down. But it's not about going down. It's how do you get back up? In an Elijah ministry, every bold Elijah will be broken. But what I love about it is it doesn't end there because God says, yes, the bold will be broken, but the broken will become bold. See, I send you, Malachi says, see, I send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Elijah must come. From the desert hillsides, they come. Their faces covered with kicked up dust of the journey. The sun sitting high above beats down on them, respecting neither person's titles or occupations. They crowd the narrow river's fertile green banks as the cool, as the cool, refreshing waters of the Jordan roll on by almost unnoticed. The people haven't come for water. They've come to see fire. They've come to see one whose temperament and zeal for repentance and righteousness and ministry burns like an all-consuming fire. 
I don't know if any of you've ever driven out to, um, oh, where is it when you go out to Arizona? Where's the London Bridge at? Where? It's past Needles, California. Lake Havasu. Thank you. When you go out to Lake Havasu, it's like going out to the River Jordan. Because when you pass the Colorado and you go over the London Bridge, first of all, are any of you familiar you've done that drive? It's nothing but desert out there. Desert and dust and Joshua trees and just nothing. And then when you come to this river and you're looking for the mighty Colorado River, that river is probably from the end of the wall where the screen is maybe, maybe out to here. That's the mighty Colorado in the middle of nothing. And if you've ever looked at pictures of the Jordan, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. People are going out to the desert, but it's not for that little bit of water. They didn't come for water. They've come for fire. For Matthew 3, verses 1 and 5, bring that up. It says that John was out there. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Hmm? Preaching in the wilderness of Judea saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of by the prophet of Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare ye the way for the Lord. Elijah doesn't come with pretty words. Elijah doesn't come arguing about politics, Republican or Democrat. Elijah doesn't come talking about deficits. Elijah doesn't come talking about how your bank account is going to, you know, you name it and you claim it. Elijah says the king is coming and get your house in order. That's why Elijah has to come. Elijah comes to prepare the people to see one whose countenance is like fire. And he says, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camels here, and he had a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. People went out from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John came, he didn't talk about ministry and have a bunch of meetings about ministry and have study groups about ministry. He went out and ministered. He went out and got the job done. He didn't talk about it. He was about it. He came with the fire of Elijah. Who's bad? Oh, it ain't MJ. Who's bad? John's bad. Who's bad? Elijah is bad. They were bad on the front end of their ministries. But there's always, like I said, two sides to an Elijah ministry. Like Elijah before him, John the Baptist boldly tells the backslidden people of God to put God first and serve him alone. Like Elijah, John the Baptist boldly tells the truth in the face of authoritative power. You brood of vipers. coming out of John's mouth, it sounds just like Elijah telling King Ahab, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. Ooh, how dare you say that to the king? Hmm? Jesus, speaking about John, asked the question in Matthew 11, verses 7 through 15, what did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? 
And I always think about that when I see a lot of the TV evangelists now talking about how they got private planes and how God gave them. I'm not saying that God doesn't take care and bless his people. I'm just saying some of those guys get there and spend more time telling you about what God gave them. But Jesus said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? This brother didn't have any suit. Neither one of them had any special suit. They had power. They had boldness. They spoke with authority. They had fire. They didn't have gold. They had fire. People want to see real church. They want to see real Christian living. They don't want to see good worship. You can see good worship anywhere. They want to see a changed life. They want to see a man who really loves his wife, even though beautiful women are moving around him all the time. They want to see a man who keeps himself together and is not dipping in pots and not chasing everything, not doing shady business deals. They want to see somebody who keeps their word. They want to see somebody who works hard when the boss is not around. That's why people like to watch that show, Undercover Boss. It's always refreshing when the boss comes and people don't even know it's the boss and the employee is hard on it. They tell me, I've never watched the show, but one of the guys came in and said, man, one employee told his boss when the boss was acting like an employee, said, you can't work here. Your standards aren't that, aren't they? this is not the way we do it here. You know the boss elevated that brother and put him in charge of a couple locations. That's refreshing. That's integrity. That is what people want to see. They want to see the genuine. Are they seeing it in our lives this morning? John, like Elijah before him, was bold, beautiful, and soon to be broken because sin don't lay down easy. And if you step to power, power will always step back to you. That's what Jezebel did to Elijah. That's what Herod did to John the Baptist. Come on, you remember now, Matthew 14, verses 3 to 5. It says, now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Herod was messing around with his brother's wife. For John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. He was the king. But he got all up in his Kool-Aid. said, brother, you, not only are you, know that didn't sit well. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. And so he just laid in the cut. <laughs> just lay in the cut. You need to understand that it is important that you live in the flow. You know how the pastor talks about living in the flow of the spirit? Because you're not going to survive if you don't live in the flow. Because if you step to power, power is going to step to you. Try to live a righteous life, and you're going to get Satan's particular attention. And he's going to come down your way and get next to you. So how do you live in a flow? You live in a flow by following the example that is found in Ephesians 6, 10, 10 through 13. Let's bring that up. Finally, my, my brethren, my brothers, my sisters, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. To 13, 
put on. What does that say? Yeah, I need y'all to read that because it's. Come on, let's run it. Let's run it. That's living in the flow, putting on the armor of God, because you have to prepare yourself for battle, because the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. If you knew that a lion was outside your door waiting for your sons, and you had a gun in your house, what are you going to be doing? Loading my weapon. Loading your weapon. You're not going to be in there talking about, well, what are we going to barbecue? Maybe we should go out and get some Mickey D's. You're going to be concerned because that lion gets in your house. It's your life. And your son's life, you're going to be getting strapped for battle. That's living in the flow. That's living in the real world. That, that, if you are getting beat up and beat down, and you keep getting beat up and beat down, you got two options. Either continue to get beat up or beat down or get in the flow, put on the armor of God, and fight back. Because you're on a battlefield. You're not in a luxury club. Life is rough. That's why we all are going through. I had to talk with my daughter the other day, my oldest daughter, and she's like very, very super political. I call her Autumn X. She is so politically charged, and she's just blue. And we were talking, and I said, uh, Autumn, you know, no political system, no political party, and I'm political. You might have noticed a little bit. But I don't put my ultimate faith in men, parties, I put it in God. I don't put it in systems because any system could be corrupt. Once man gets in it, it's corrupt. Communism on paper sounds beautiful. Our system with checks and balances on paper sounds beautiful, but it's corrupted because man is in it. Amen? So I've learned to put ultimately my trust in God. So I was telling her that. She said, Dad, now how do you take that argument to a person who's not spiritual and is political? But see, Autumn didn't understand, and I was trying to tell her she had forgotten what I've been trying to teach her all her life. Everything is spiritual. There's nothing that you and I go through that is not spiritual. That fool on your job that works your last nerve, spiritual. Come on, what did the word say? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You and I keep forgetting. We keep forgetting that everything is spiritual. Your politics. Spiritual. How do I know? Because when God pulled back the veil to Daniel, all them great empires coming and going, the king of Babylon, the king of, it was Satan. That's why Gabriel, when he came, he said, as soon as you started praying, I've been locked up for three weeks with Satan, wrestling at the seat of this man who had the power to make the decision. And it wasn't until Michael, a.k.a. Jesus, came and knocked Satan out of the way that I was able to get to you. Satan is eternal. Well, he's not eternal, but he's wrestling an eternal God. Kingdoms come and go. They're just tools. He, he uses tools, and God uses tools. Where is the great and mighty Roman Empire? Satan ain't tripping. Satan don't even really covet that, because if he did, he wouldn't have offered it up to Jesus when Jesus came. Huh? He said, oh, and you know, he said, he's offering it. You can't offer something that's not yours again. 
And Jesus said that Satan is the god of this world. By this world, he meant that this whole political system and the values and the politics, it's Satan. And when Satan had Jesus out in the wilderness, he said, all of these kingdoms I'll give to you. Now, do you, how political do you think Satan is? It wasn't about that. Satan said, Jesus, I just want to be like your father. Worship me and I will give you these kingdoms. He don't care about these kingdoms. So why are you and I getting so caught up in this stuff? Because we've been deceived. <laughs> and the bowl has become broken. What are you putting all your trust in this morning? A man? A system? You better put it in God, your house, your car, the credit rating of the U.S. I'm not saying that those things aren't proper and practical. I'm just saying you got to keep perspective on them. Everything is spiritual. Single woman trying to do right, and that smooth-talking brother who's really a wolf in disguise, spiritual, always trying to get with you, always trying to talk to you, spiritual. You better be careful of the spirits you let in your life. That's why Jesus says, test the spirits. You become a Christian trying to do right, and your roommate's not a Christian, and all of a sudden they got a problem with everything you do, your music, your food, why you ain't going up. Spiritual. Your family can be spirit. It's all spiritual. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. So how are you going to fight these things? You're trying to fight flesh and blood, and Satan is just, bam, and you don't even see him. Bam, just knocking you out. He just. Problems in the church. Spiritual. Spiritual. You got to live in the flow. You got to put on the armor of God. Crossing the oceans of time, we see John the Baptist. I'm going to move on. We see John the Baptist in prison, the second Elijah, in prison, depressed. John was out on the front line for the Lord, and now Herod has locked him up because John spoke to him in a real way. And so he took that brother and locked him up, put him down in a dark dungeon, and slowly as the weeks went by, John got depressed. His disciples did not forsake him, but you know they always came questioning, ain't Jesus supposed to be your cousin? Ain't Jesus supposed to be the one that you was heralding? That brother's up moving around and healing people and raising the dead, doing this and feeding it. Man, you know, it, I don't understand why, why, why Jesus don't come by and just click, you know, and just let the cell gates open. Jesus won't even put a word in for you. Oh, and don't think that didn't weigh on him. He never said nothing to them, but in his mind, day after day in a dark cell, just away from it all, it got to him. And he got broken, but I love what John did. Because at the point of Elijah's brokenness and at the point of John's brokenness, God met them. God will meet you at the point of your brokenness. Elijah, tired and spent under a tree wanting to die, and the angel didn't come and chastise him. The angel said, sleep. When he woke him up, he had some food and water. He said, man, eat this and go back to sleep because the journey, the battle is too much for you. And when John sent word to Jesus, are you the one or should we look for another? Jesus didn't do anything started doing what he always did. 
said, go back and tell John these things. And when his disciples came back and gave the report, don't you know that that whole jail cell, that dark and dingy, was lit up with God's glory? Don't you know that self-doubt and self-pity gave, gave way? Don't you know that the first thing that came to his mind as he heard all of this stuff is the scripture, for God has sent me to set the captives free, to preach at liberty. Hmm? He started thinking of those things, and he said, he is the one. My God will not forsake me. He is the one. I don't understand every twist and detail of his plan, but his plan is sound. He is the one. When Elijah and John's self-pity and doubt confront the Lord as proxies for Satan with hellish intensity, when stuff is breaking out all around you and me, and we get depressed, and we, we can take it to God. God doesn't blink. God never has a, what am I going to do now? You see, God never sleeps, and he never slumbers, and apparently he never blinks either. He tells John, and he tells Elijah, and he tells you this morning, get out of your cage, boys and girls. Get out of your thump, because I am. Big I, big I am, I am about to blow your mind and give you a new perspective. I am about to just wave my hand and remind you that the battle is not yours, it's mine. My battles are won before I even begin to fight. I ain't tripping on Satan, I'm going to turn off his light. I am the mighty wind blowing earthly kingdoms down or the terror of great earthquakes as I walk up and down your earth. I am an all-consuming fire when my righteous anger flows. But just listen to the still, small voice as I uphold you with the promise of my love. With the promise of my love. God reminds both of his Elijahs that the success of the mission doesn't depend on their brilliance, but instead depends on trusting him. And as we go through these crazy times and stuff that we can't explain, we've got to learn to trust in God. Don't you know that God is weaning you and me? Oh, he's weaning us off of our dependence on our bank accounts and our credit rating and our education. Because, you know, in the end, it says that their money is just going to be laying in the street. He's weaning us off of those things, Wood. He's saying it's time, my children, to put down your children's toys because without faith, it is impossible to please me. So he is purposely putting you and me in situations where our faith has to grow. Where we have to just learn simply to trust in God. Because though we believe, the truth is, we really don't yet believe. He's stretching us out. He's saying, look, when you get to trust me, really get to trust me, I'll send chariots of fire to come and get you. I'm going to sustain you, and I'm going to win this thing. Come unto me, all ye that are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm going to get you to the other side if you just stay on the ship. Not beside the ship. Not on the dock. This morning, as I was saying, I had to go and round up some of our young people. Because you always find young people outside the ark of safety when worship is going on. Nobody comes to church to sit on the outside. You will not get to the other side on the dock. 
You will not make it to the other side swimming alongside the ship. You have to be in the ark of safety. That's the commercial of parents. Make your kids come inside the house of God and worship because they'll be, they'll be lost standing on the other side of the door. Jesus said, I am the door, but you got to come through me. No man come up to the Father but through me, not standing on the other side. Huh? But you got to be in the ark. And that just doesn't mean just physically here. You need to be in here so God can work on you and me. This is the place where we're going to be saved. Yes, God never promised that the ride was going to be easy, but he said it's going to be sure. See, the captain of our ship knows how to bring his people through storms. He did it on the ark. He did it with Jonah, and he did it with the disciples. I want you to listen to this song, and then I'm going to make this appeal. But for those of you that have had a week, for those of you that have gone down, for those of you that will go down, I want you to be encouraged. Listen to the words of this song. Because our captain will always get us to the other side.
many of you are ready to depart for a better place? How many of you are ready to depart for a better place? You are tired of living your life in fear. Then this is for you. Come on. Come on. Come on. You know what I love about the Lord? God's love is so smooth, it is so soothing that it can make the roughest brother. And you know, men, we're all about egos and being macho, but the Bible says that John, the same disciple that wanted to call fire down and destroy a city because the people didn't respect them enough as representatives of Jesus. Him and his brother said, Lord, let's call fire down and destroy the city. Jesus smoothed that brother out so much that it said that John publicly took his head and laid it on Jesus' chest and wasn't sweating nobody how they would think about it. Oh, man, that's soft. That's punkish. That's this. And I'm telling you right now, if you were ready to depart, come on down. Come on down. Oh, you waiting for somebody else to come on down? If you are ready to depart, huh? If you are ready to depart, if you are tired of living your life in fear, don't you know that you have to die daily? It's not a one-time process. Sitting in your seats, but I don't know about you. God said, I want to heal you. I want to fix you, but you would not come. I called unto you, but you would not come. Oh, I know what you're saying. What, I know what you're saying. You're saying God knows my heart. But Jesus could have said that and not got up on the cross. He said, but if you will not stand for me publicly, I will not acknowledge you before my Father. Hmm? Don't think about it. This is for you. This is for you. We keep sitting. You know, when I got into this thing, I'm still a work in progress. My name is Anthony Drummond, and I'm a sinaholic. And every day it's a struggle for me. Because if I don't keep pressing forward, I will slide backwards. I have not reached the spot yet where I have obtained the glory of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? If I'm not moving forward, I will slide backwards. In this battle, you are either going forward or you're sliding backwards. There's no standing still. So I throw this out to you again. I don't need to see numbers come up in the front. But I am trying to break up the fallow ground. Because, see, Satan will fool us. Every day we have to be advancing forward. I've made, a, made up my mind that if I should commit the most grievous of sins, and I've committed some grievous ones, if I have to, I'm going to fall into the church. Because I've come to the conclusion that none of you love me enough to die for me. None of you are righteous enough that you can guarantee me passage into the kingdom. None of you can keep me from hell or keep me from heaven. And I'm like you. I wonder what people think about me. I want to be, he's got it all together. I don't have it all together. I want to be saved. I want my house to be saved. I want to see the people of God saved. I can't play any more games. I need Jesus because I got a lot of stink. And you do too. But hey, in every house, there are vessels, some to honor 
and some of the dishonor you choose. Heavenly Father, and God is so good. He, he suffers long, gracious and long-suffering. The Lord is telling me before I close this prayer out, I need to make one more appeal because that's how God is. Is there anyone who wants to depart for the other side? Now, I'm not saying if, that you're not already on your journey, but you just want to recommit that you are on the good ship Zion, that you are on the good ship Zion. If you could just even just stand. Mm, there you go. Come on, come on, come on, come on. If you could even just stand to your feet. Now, if you stand to your feet, that means your feet are working. Come on down. Come on down because God is not me. It's God. It ain't about me. But you see how the devil will lull us to sleep? We'll forget that every day we're on the battlefield. Every day we got to lock and load. Every day we got to live in the flow. It's not about coming to church. Satan don't care if you come to church. He'll play church all day long with you. He just doesn't want you to daily die to self and live in Christ. That's what he's concerned about, Tanisha. He don't care if you and me have a form of godliness. He just doesn't want us to find the real Jesus. And Lord, I thank you. Father God, because you are just so good and your love is so persistent and you keep on pursuing us, Lord, and pursuing us. Oh God, I thank you for the souls that have stood today and have gotten on the good ship Zion. Because you won't be saved on the pier, and you won't be saved in the water. And if we're on the edge, oh God, there's a chance because the sea, the sea is rough. If we're on the edge, God, we might be thrown overboard. We might lose our balance and just slide off over the rail. So we need to be in the center of your will. We need to be at that spot, Jesus, where... It looks like you are sleeping. So that when it gets too scary for us, we can turn to you and say, Master, carest not that we perish. And you'll just get up and just stand up. And my God and my King say, Peace, be still. And the broken will become bold. Oh God, breathe your peace right now over every soul whose heart is open to you. To everyone, God, that fought the urge to just sit back on cruise control, but to get up and actively pursue you, Jesus. If anybody is worth running down, it is you, Jesus. God, I'm going to chase you till the day I die. And I pray that my brothers and sisters will do the same. We ask your blessing 
your strength, your promises, your power be applied to our lives. That Elijah in us might come forth and the work might be finished and you might come and take us home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Actively pursue God. Actively pursue God like you do your education, like you do your next raise on your job. Actively pursue God like you're pursuing that man or woman that you're chasing down. You need to actively pursue God like that because nothing else is going to last but God.